today we will look at something more in addition to healing and understanding, heeding that call really, of, of holiness. And of course in review from last Sunday, you know, we were talking about a basic understanding of holiness and that holiness begins with something. Anybody remember what that is? Holiness begins with knowing God. And who is the best source for knowing God? Of course, it is God himself. And so we go to God and we, we know God and we learn about God in his own revelation to man. And so we find that the Holy Bible is that. It's God's revelation to man. And so as we, we know God and we are learning about God, whether it's in prayer or scripture or supplication, it is the process of the restoration of God's image in us. That can be identified as the process of holiness. Amen. And remember last week we determined that, that the very essence of the process is the result of both crisis and experience. So there is this crisis that we, we encounter the living God and realize that God is a God that wants to be a part of our lives. And God is a God that is personal and he sends his spirit to have relationship with us. And the spirit fills us and empowers us. And, and in that there is the experience of experiencing the love of God. Amen. And really, now just a little bit of background, I promised that in our very first message, and a little bit of a background for the church. This was the driving force in the holiness movement at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century. In fact, believers who felt called to entire devotion to God, primarily through the theology of entire sanctification, they jumped on that movement, the holiness movement. And this was not new by any stretch of the means because John and Charles Wesley uh, there in the 18th century were preaching their heads off on the on the heels of, of course, the the Reformation of the 16th century. And, 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 and the just of of all of that was that we can be empowered for Christian living. I mean, think about that for a moment. So this idea is that we can be sanctified by faith and should live Christ-like lives. Well, this early movement culminates to the organization and the beginning structure of a band of believers called, believe it or not, the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. That's right. In fact, for five years, it was the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. In fact, Pentecostal was synonymous with holiness. I mean, understood the same way. But the way that the words are oftentimes changed by definition in the process of, of culture and life, the word Pentecostal began to change the meaning of Pentecostal. And so in 1919, in our fifth general assembly, they drop Pentecostal and we become the church of the Nazarene. Now, if you're going to perk up at any moment, at any time, this is the time to perk up because we want to talk about what the Nazarene church confesses. Just kind of laying the foundation for, for the message today. The church of the Nazarene confesses now hang in there. The church of the Nazarene confesses to be a branch of Christ's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, before you go, you know, set back reeling on on the terms Catholic and apostolic, Catholic really is a definition of the overarching movement of Christianity. That's how how we would define that apostolic. The definition of that is that we are followers of the apostles teaching, of course, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, rest of the apostles teaching of the New Testament. And so that means that we are following the apostolic teaching as the Christian church. This is our confession. And also the church of the Nazarene confesses that it embraces as its own 
Can you get this? Embraces as his own the very history of God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we embrace it as our own. And then the Nazarene Church confesses that we receive the ecumenical creeds of the first five Christian centuries as expressions of our own faith. And due to the time that we have limited here this morning, um, we're only going to look at two of these these creeds together. And so the first one that I want to delve into right now is the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed was largely a creed dealing with not only establishing orthodoxy, but dealing with heresy of the time. And heresy, of course, which is antithetical to, you know, scriptural truth. We understand that to what is Christian. So they have to be addressed. I mean, heresy has to be addressed. And that what was addressed in the Apostles' Creed was Gnosticism. And the Gnostics, Gnostic, the Greek meaning the Gnostic is knowledge. And so that's where they were committed. The Gnostics were a threat that was not from outside the church, but they'd become a part of the worship setting. Much like this, they become part of the experience of being a part of the body of believers and they begin to espouse their thoughts of, of combining other religions and the best of other religions together. And the problem with the idea is that they understood it as simply as, as good and evil. I mean, this, this was what was at the just of the Gnostics is they, they believed that there was good and there was bad. And in fact, as we later on understand that this heresy is called dualism, we see the same thing in movies today. Sorry, Star Trek lovers. Uh, We see this dualism. I mean, the good and the bad or the good and evil. And and the problem with that, though, is that eliminates, of course, the, the element of God himself, the creator. And so the Gnostics were obviously a concern. The Gnostics identifying Evil, now describing what evil is, would describe evil as matter. And so therefore, they loved the idea of the Christian. I mean, they loved the idea uh, of what we believe as Christians, that Jesus was divine. I mean, they loved the idea that Jesus was perfect and he was this divine being. But they could not marry the idea that matter was evil with Jesus also being flesh also being man i mean as christians we know this is our orthodox that jesus is fully man because born of a virgin birth by the holy spirit he is also fully god amen and so the gnostics they were they were in far in great support of the idea of the divinity of christ and it's not that they had a problem with that what they did do is they denied that he was human now thankfully christianity rose up to cast out this heresy By adopting the solid orthodox position that we still embrace today in the Apostles' Creed. In fact, just kind of to establish the baseline, our foundation again, let's read the Apostles' Creed together uh, this morning. So I want to invite you, just like we did in our beginning reading together, I want to invite you to read aloud with me the Apostles' Creed. And we probably don't do this enough, but let's read it together and be reminded of what it is that we believe. I believe in the God, the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And everybody said, Amen. And so we have that as established as the, 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 you know, the primary creed that we begin with. But then we move to 325 A.D. and we look at the Nicene Creed. And this is key because it is asserting that God and Jesus were of same substance. Now, notice we are not saying like substance, and that's important, but that he is same substance and it's rejecting the attempt of three gods bound in some unifying way. And so it's the Trinitarian thought that we give attention to or that the creed gives attention to the idea of God, the father and God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. So we have three persons in one God. Now, as we say persons, it's not the way that we would use the word persons today. Persons, plural. Persons today would mean like Dick and John and Harry, you know, persons. But in the Latin persona, you see, that was used at that time, it's more like a mask. It's more like the person or the persona is like the mask. And behind the mask is the same substance. So you see the Trinitarian thought, it, it, it was relevant because it not only pushes back that what could be confusing, but literally paganism itself. Amen. In fact, to clarify things, we have St. Augustine that refers to man being created in the image of God. Again, bear with me, like I said, but man being created in the image of God. He defines maybe a better application of how that image looks in regards to the Trinitarian thought. In fact, here's what Augustine says, or here's a sentence from Augustine. The Trinity is like the memory, intelligence, and will. Memory, intelligence, and will. And you can imagine the intimacy and the, the, the co-unseparable relation, the, the perichoresis of, 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 of the memory and the intelligent will as we understand in the God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, the Trinity was important, not simply because it saved Christianity from confusion and, and paganism, but really it shows us that man's salvation, this is key, man's salvation does not hang on some effort by man. It does not hang on some you know, entity that is less than divine or less than deity, but hallelujah, Christ and God, the same substance, this is the reality, Emmanuel, it is God with us. It is God Becoming flesh like no other religious figure in history, not like Muhammad, not like Buddha, not like Joseph Smith, not like even one of the 33 million demigods of Hinduism. Imagine God became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, his son. And on our behalf, he went to the cross for us and he defeats death and his resurrection is real. He gives us everlasting life because the atonement. Remember the atonement that is the birth, death, resurrection of Christ. That's the atonement of Christ. And in that atonement we have everlasting life hallelujah i love our orthodoxy amen amen god has established truth for us and we have it in the old testament we have it in the new testament and it culminates to this this experience that we have this morning as we just sang it off the words on the screen today. Amen. I don't know about you, but as I was, I was singing those words and singing that it was well with my soul. There is something about truth that refreshes us. There's something about a truth that renews us in our faith and, and our decision to follow Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. And, and so this refreshment comes to us as we understand this foundation that God ha, ha, has given us. Amen. It's God's really it's God's covenant and, and proclamation for us. I mean, that's that's the title of the message. You see that there on the bulletin. 
It's God's covenant that's promised and proclamation for us. And so if I were to say, okay, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm really only wanting to say two things this morning, and they're very simple. They're very simple things, and maybe I'm even oversimplifying, but I don't think so. Because I think we all need to hear it once in a while. I think we need to be reminded of these simple things on occasion because oftentimes we find ourselves in a valley or we find ourselves on a path that maybe we probably shouldn't be on. And our eyes are not focused on what our eyes need to focus on. And so we need to come back to the basics and be reminded of some simple things. Because when we come back to orthodoxy, we come back to truth. It it, it realigns us. It, It gives us this balance that we need in life, you know, to walk what God, that path that God has called us to. Amen. It's about, you know, it's part of knowing God. You see, the process is a part of knowing God, because if holiness, the beginning of holiness is knowing God, then these things we need to know about God. And I want to share a couple with you this morning. If uh, you don't mind, in fact, have God's word ready or your instrument, your iPad or, or or phone, whatever you use. And we're going to use the word of God a lot this morning. So hang in there. So the first thing that I want to simply say, again, oversimplistic, is, is, and I cannot emphasize that enough, but I want to say that God loves you. I mean, God wants to say that. I want to say it, yes, but, but I, I think that's what God is wanting to say in all the orthodoxy and what we are establishing. This is the baseline. This is where we come from. This is our faith. This is where we were born from. This is the movement we're a part of. He is saying, I love you. God wants you to know that he loves you without any doubt. And, and in fact, you know, what is the verse that we all learned in VBS? John 3.16. What does it say? For God so, so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believed in him would not perish, have everlasting life. So you see, you know, there, there it is. He loves you. That God loves you and he he loves you so much that he became flesh and he dwelt among us and he, he felt the pains that men feel. He felt the anguish that someone that's a part of a family feels. He felt the worry and the concern. He, he felt the chaos and he felt the stress. I mean, here is a God that can relate to your life. He can relate to you, man. Whatever you're going through, God can relate to you. He can. And you see, the enemy wants to whisper things in your ear, try to convince you that he cannot. God can relate to you because God became flesh. I mean, that's big. That's big in our faith. That God became flesh and that flesh was divine and was God, man, fully God, fully man. Amen. And so we need to understand, I think, what God wants us to know is that he loves us. So God loves you. In fact, we go to First John chapter four. Let's take a moment and turn there today. Go to First John chapter four. Again, we're going to use the word a lot this morning. So go to First John chapter four and we're going to look at verse seven. First John chapter four, verse seven. I get in a hurry sometimes, so I'm trying to make sure that I'm going slow enough that we can get to that passage, that reference. First John chapter four, looking at verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another. Listen to that. Let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, if holiness begins with knowing God and as we are reading the word and there is revelation, which remember Revelation can be more dangerous than reformation. So if there is revelation and the revelation is that God loves us and that the essence of God is love, that is his that is his character, holy love. 
then that means that when we are really walking with God, that 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 character will be in us and we will love others. That's what this verse is saying, that we will, we must love others. And I think the question that I, I probably need to ask myself this morning is, is how am I doing with that? I mean, how am I doing loving you and loving others, you know, if, if you're doing something that I don't like? Or maybe, you know, you're asking me to do something I don't like. How am I doing loving others, you know, if, uh, you know, somebody's stepping on my toes? You know, or maybe there's something I have a grudge about. I, I don't know. But the fact is, is that you see part of understanding God and understanding his character is that that we love as God loves us. God loves you. Then we go to another passage. Let's uh, go to Deuteronomy. Let's go back there to the last book, the fifth book there, the Pentateuch. Go to Deuteronomy chapter seven. Look in there in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter seven. Looking at verse nine. We go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, looking at verse 9. Let's look at that real quick. Okay, they're pulling them up on the screen. Thank you. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 7, looking at verse 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So there's, you know, there's this response, you know, that we have, of course, in regards to the love that we we. We receive from the Father, and of course, that is, we, we love in return. God loves us. In fact, in this passage, it says that, that he has a steadfast love. I mean, think about that for a moment. What does that mean when we say steadfast? I, I think steadfast, I think steady. I think, you know, long-suffering. That's kind of a, you know, an old Bible term, long-suffering, means that we're very patient and we will endure a lot and we'll go through a lot and we have a long fuse. It's a long, it's a steadfast love. God's love is steady and that is a love that gives us balance and it gives us direction in life. I mean, this is the kind of love that God has for us, that it is a steadfast love. And, and, and then in Psalm chapter 36, go there with me, go to Psalm chapter 36, looking at verse 7. If you have the word, turn there with me. Psalm chapter 36, verse 7. We have it on the screen. Thank you. So we look at Psalm 36, 7, and we read there, How precious is your unfailing love, O God. How precious is your unfailing love. So we have a, a love that is steadfast and then a love that is, that is unfailing. A love that is going to be there when everyone else has walked out. Have you ever had a love for somebody, a relationship with somebody, and then they've let you down? Have you ever had a relationship with somebody and then they crossed a line that they should have never crossed? Have you ever had a relationship with somebody and you felt like it was love and it was forever and then they broke it off or broke it up? And Folks, that's unlike God's love because God's love, hallelujah, is unfailing. God's love will not let you down. He will not walk out. He will not back up. He will not let up. God loves you. Amen. I don't know where you're at in life, but I want to say this. God loves you. He loves you so much that he became flesh and he died on the cross and is giving you the gift of everlasting life. And you know what it means when somebody gives you a gift? It means it's a gift. It means that, you know, if, if say I, my wife were here, she was here this morning, and I had a gift for her and it was all wrapped up and it had a bow, and I put it in her lap like that, and then I told her I'd get a kiss if I did that, but she didn't kiss me. But anyhow, I put it in her lap and I said, this is a gift. And if I gave it as a gift, would I expect her to give me some cash in return? Would I expect her, you know, to do some chores? I mean, it's silly. I understand that. But the fact is, it is a gift. You see, that is God's love 
to us. It is a gift. He loves us. He gives us everlasting life because he loves us. And then in Psalm 86, verse 5, go to 86, a little bit further along in Psalm, go to Psalm chapter 86, look at verse 5. Then we read, you, Lord, are forgiving and good abounding in love to all who call to you. Abounding in love. Think about that idea. That is an abounding love. It is an overflowing love. It is a love that is filling you, a love that is blessing you. It is an abounding love. I I, I think it's the kind of love that helps us experience the joy of the Lord. I was talking to the kiddos in the first service during Sermon in the Sack about the joy that is our strength, that is in the Lord. And the joy that we have in the Lord becomes real to us when we experience and realize how much God loves us. That is the boundless love that God has for us. He has so much boundless love, it is overflowing, it's overwhelming, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. God loves us. Amen. God loves you. I want you to know that this morning. Can you tell? (laughs) Can you tell that God wants you to know that he loves you today? And maybe, I don't know what your week was like, I was with somebody on Wednesday night and I went up next to them and I started a conversation and there was very little response and, and then I looked and there was a stress and a strain and he said, oh, pastor, this week. And then I, I heard a, just a list of, of litany of things, of, of just horrible stuff. And in the midst of that, I, I, I wanted to take all that off his shoulders, but really all I could do is share the love of God with him. And maybe, I don't know, I haven't talked to him, maybe that's what he needed to hear, that that God loves him, even in the midst of that dark valley, that God loves us. It's an abounding love. It's an overflowing love. It's an overwhelming love that covers us. Amen. And then, then later on in Psalm 86, looking at verse 15, we were in verse 5. Now go to verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Man, I love that because it bundles it all up. It is the forgiving God and the merciful God and the abounding love of God. It is the graciousness of God. It is the mercy of God. It's that first is bounding it all together, binding it together and reminding us that God loves us. Amen. God loves us. God loves you. And then, then the last Psalm 136, 26, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. You know what that means, teens? That means to infinity and beyond (laughs) that he loves us beyond our imagination, beyond, you know, whatever the largest number is. I guess there's something about that that you can't say because if you put a one there, then it's not no longer the largest number. A mathematician told me that this morning. But anyhow, it's like infinity beyond. That's the love of God. It's that large. It's that long. It's forever. It endures forever. Amen. I think we got that, right? Here's the second idea. The second idea is that God's proclamation is good for you. He has, he has a proclamation of good for you. God's proclamation of good for you. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's work on this now. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Think of that. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And prosper is not necessarily money. 
you know, or success in your job to prosper you is this joy because the balanced love of God that he fills you with his joy and love and purpose in life. And he plans to prosper you as you serve him and you live out his plan for your life. He wants to he wants to bless you. Amen. And then we look at Matthew chapter six. Go to Matthew chapter six there around verse thirty one. Yeah, let's pick up at verse 31, and then we're going to go through, uh, actually, all the way through, I think, 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so we seek God, and we seek him first, and then his promise is what? What's his promise here in Matthew 6.33? That he will add all these other things. Whatever those needs are, he will meet those needs. He will help us figure it out. He'll help us, you know, with that plan for education. He'll help us as far as marriage. He'll help us with retirement. If we listen to him and we respond to him, he is there and he will always be there if we turn towards him. And then we go to 1 Corinthians. I mean, just really being real this morning. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And looking at verse 13, and then he deals with this idea of this human vessel that we have to live within. Because if he has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, not to hurt us, but plans to bless us, then how does this old flesh shake down? I mean, you know, with all the things that our our flesh is bombarded with and all the challenges that we have to face and, and the temptations that we have and, and, and they're real. No temptation. Here it is. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I, I believe that, that, that the reason we, we can say that verse is truth is because God has created us as free agents. And we have this free will and we can choose and we can choose to do right and we can choose to go one way or we can choose to go another way. I used to say uh, to my, my kids that life is the result of a sequence of decisions. Life is a result of a sequence of good decisions or a sequence of bad decisions. And the result that you get in life is the result of that sequence of decisions that you're making. And I understand that when you start making bad decisions and you're going down that dark valley or that, that wrong path, I understand that things influence us and they affect our mind psychologically. I understand that. I understand that when we get caught up in, in say, you know, chemicals. You know, things that we put in our bodies and the chemicals change the chemistry of the, the mind. I mean, I've read the books. I understand that. But folks, we are talking, remember, about the power of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit of God upon us. And I believe by the power of God, with the Spirit in our heart and in our life, He can give us the power to make good decisions. The power to start making better decisions and make a sequence of positive decisions to glorify Him and make life better. Amen. You see, God has given us the ability. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I mean, that's part of the human experience will be temptation. We all know that it's part of the human experience. But then he gives us this this ability and free will that we can choose, even though we say we can't help it. We keep doing it. We can't help it. But you see, he's saying by the power of his spirit, we can. We can make a new decision and turn and go in a new way. Amen. And then we go to John chapter 15. Hang in there with me. Go to John chapter 15, looking at verse 11. 
John chapter 15, verse 11. They're fast back there. Good job. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So this is here's the plan. Plan to prosper you, not to hurt you, but to bless you. And so the plan is the joy. We have joy because we know the overabundant and the abounding love of God is ours. That God loves us. And so his plan is to give us everlasting joy. I believe that. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, let's look at this. And I'm going to wrap it up after this one because I have several more. But just let's go to Hebrews. One last one. Go to Hebrews with me, everybody. Hebrews chapter 13. Looking at verse 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now, this is not a promise that you will not get cancer. This is not a promise that bad things will not happen. It's okay to feel the way you feel. It, it's, I'm not saying, okay, put on a happy face and let's pretend. That's not what I'm saying. I know I'm gregarious and I'm enthusiastic. I understand that. And, but I also know that life is real and it hits you in the gut sometimes. But he will equip you. You see, this is the promise. This is the promise for the prosperous life, spiritually prosperous life. He will equip you. And as he is equipping us and equipping you, we can know his boundless love that will carry us through to making better decisions, living a life that glorifies him. Amen. And then ultimately and eternally, John 14, 2, in my father's house there are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you. I'll bring you to be with me where I am also. That verse is saying, hey, I promise, hallelujah, there is an eternity. There is an eternity, an everlasting, boundless space and time that you'll be with me. And I cannot wait. Amen. But I'm not a Christian just because of that. I'm a Christian because I love Jesus. And I love Jesus now. And I love walking with Jesus now. And it's through Christ I experience the boundless love of God in my life. Now, what is the problem? Because oftentimes there is trouble in the text and there's answer in the text. There's trouble in the world and there's answer in the world. So, so what is the trouble? I mean, what is the problem? I, I think that the, the, the trouble is that and the reason why we hear This so many times, these two simple truths, so many times in Scripture, is because we have trouble keeping our eyes on the ball. We have trouble being reminded or reminding ourselves that God loves us, that God is there, that he has our back, and we get our eyes on other things. I I, I fly once in a while. I love flying small planes. I think many of you know that already because I talk about it, and I do. My, my wife and I, we, we've done this for almost 30 years. We fly together, these little small, you know, four-seater planes, and we've owned a couple of them. And, and, uh, and when you fly, um, you're very, you have to be safe. And so part of it is you make sure the doors are closed. You make sure your passengers have their seatbelt on. And you go through, you know, kind of a whole list of safety procedures and uh, and then when you're learning to fly, part of the thing that you learn is that while you're up in the air and you're on your trip, that you uh, you're not only you know scanning the instruments, you use a scan process, a, a certain process. You not only scan, you're paying attention to your surroundings, you're watching for other aircraft, but you're also looking at the ground 
And this is kind of, you know, horrifying. But you're looking at the ground in case a worst-case scenario comes about. In case something happens, you know, an emergency. And so you're, you, you learn... You learn to be scanning the ground. So every time I fly, wherever I'm going, I'm scanning and I'm looking for plan A in a crisis if my engine were to stop. I will never forget I was flying from uh, Twin Falls, uh, Idaho to to Nampa, Idaho, where my parents lived. We lived in Twin. And I was in a little uh, Piper Cherokee 140, a little four-seater. And uh, my engine quit. And... uh, and so we, we learn emergency procedures. When there's a crisis like that, you, do, you go through a sequence of things and you practice that. Every biannual check ride, every time you're tested, you have to go through the procedures. And so I, I just immediately went into the procedure. I switched tanks. I hit the start button, turned the key, and it started back up. Okay, it was my fault. I'm sorry. I have to tell you that. But I ran out of gas in one tank, had not switched tanks to the other tank. I was by myself. But anyhow, it is an eerie, scary feeling when you're flying along and all of a sudden, and there's no motor and there's just wind whistling by. I mean, it's scary. So, so I began the procedures looking at the ground. So part of the safety training is that you're scanning the ground to look for a plan A and you're keeping your eyes on the ball. So, okay, there's a road I could land there. There's a field I could go with the grain or, or there's a, you know, the space spot over there. And so you're immediately, you know, looking for plan A. And so that makes you a good pilot. Well, I think sometimes in life we, we get cruising along and we have our job and, you know, we're going to church and all this stuff and we get our eyes off the ball and we forget that God loves us because we get to a place where we say, woe is me or this is bad or, or whatever. And the enemy gets in there and begins to whisper these negative things. And then those negative things begin this process of, of self-esteem or, or depression or whatever it is. And we forget Wow, we forget that God loves us. God loves you and that he wants to bless you. And if if there's anything that you leave today with, I want you to know that God loves you. And maybe, maybe you need to be reminded of that. God loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. Whatever you're going through, God wants to help you. I want to invite us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Precious Father in heaven, we just humbly come before you today. Thank you for your boundless love. Thank you, God, for, Lord, just reminding us so well in Scripture how much you love us. Thank you, Father, for the truth of our orthodoxy here. Thank you, Lord, that you you are giving us, Lord, just kind of, you're just giving us direction. And I thank you, Father, for that. I pray for that one today, maybe that young person or that person in, you know, sitting somewhere in the congregation that's that's maybe forgot how much you love them. That, Lord, that you would just speak to their heart right now. Tug that little heartstring, Lord, and let them know that that they are loved today. It's possible that somebody here has not been feeling much love. Maybe it's possible that we we're supposed to we're to reflect your character and your image that we need to show a little love ourselves and so maybe we need to go across the way and love on somebody maybe somebody needs a hug or maybe the Lord has laid on your heart something that you should do some gift or maybe it's forgiveness Lord your love is boundless 
you're so forgiving and merciful. I ask, Father in heaven, that as a congregation at Mission Church, that we will, we will show that kind of love to others and to each other. That we will show this boundless love as people meet us, as they walk into these doors, and they will walk away saying, wow, God must love me. May there be no question. And so, Father in heaven, I pray for your spirit right now just to come down upon that one, that man or that woman or that young person, that teenager today, that college student right now as we, Lord, just embrace you and we love you and worship you today. May they leave knowing how much they're loved. Lord, we worship you. We praise your name. We thank you for your goodness this morning. Lord, is it possible there's someone here today that have never heard this before? Is it possible there's someone here today that that has never come to a place in their life where they've said, you know, God, I realize you love me and I want you to be in my life. I want you to live in me. So our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that defines you, and, and, and the Lord's just kind of tugging that heartstring, and you're realizing, you're realizing that God loves you, and you're saying, God, I want, I want you to be a part of my life. I want to invite you to just make eye contact with me real quick, and I'm going to carry you privately, secretly into my prayer time. I'll be lifting you up privately.